Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. The Bible is not written in such a way, well, that was then and this is now. This is all time. This is all the time. Look at what God is laying out here. What what he's laying out here is a picture of the church that's going to have the greatest impact in the society that we live. I want men standing there preaching and boldly proclaiming the word of God. Bible, if you will, and find the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. About a month and a half ago, I would say, maybe a couple of months ago, we had a, a leadership weekend, and our, our deacons met on a, I think it was a Friday night, and then our, our church leadership and teachers and met on a, a Saturday morning, and after uh, our meeting, especially that Friday night with um, the deacons, I reflected back to a, a, some words that a, a pastor gave me years ago. He said, every now and then, when you're you know, in a, in a church setting, he said, I would just go and I'd take my Bible and I would go into my office and just kind of clear my schedule for the entire day. And I'd go in there and I'd take First and Second Timothy and I would open up my Bible and take a notebook and I would read chapter one and I would make notes in chapter two. So we had decided that what we would do over the last couple of months, we as deacons and leaders, we were reading through First Timothy and uh, I hate to say homework, it's not really a homework assignment, but part of the assignment was as you were reading through that, that you would be taking notes uh, as uh, what God is teaching us about our Christian life uh, and also the life uh, in the body life of the church. And so I guess over the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching through that assignment. And so we're at chapter two of 1 Timothy. And the reason why that was such an important task is because we live on the mission field. And we live in a, in a tough time. I know, uh, depending on your generation or where you're from, but uh, as we look around, we, we just live in a tough day, amen? Uh, and if we're not careful, we, we look around and we get all defeated and distraught and we get on the news and, and we hear the current events. Uh, but I think we forget that God has us here for a reason. We're on a mission. Uh, we are the church of, of the living God. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading through the Old Testament as part of my daily reading and uh, I'm in uh, the transition between Saul and David and, and the Israelites. And have you ever noticed that the Israelites, when they did what God asked them to do, they never lost? You ever notice that? You ever notice that when God called them out to battle and they said, all right, now if you do this, you'll defeat the enemy. And so as we read the Old Testament, we look at the Israelites and say, boy, I tell you what, they, when they followed the Lord, God just blessed them richly because they were God's people, right? Do you know where I'm going with this? Who's God's people today? The church. And so God has given us a mandate. When he left and and when he went to be at the right hand of the Father, he looked at the church. He said, I want you to go out there and I want you to make disciples. And he said, I'm going to be with you. You're never going to be alone. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm going to be with you as you go and make disciples. And so as I look at the world that we live in, the context of the mission field that God has placed us, we're the church. We're God's representation. We are here for a very specific reason, and it's an exciting thing if you think about it. And so as we go through 1 Timothy, Paul's instructing Timothy, and God is instructing us, his church, this is how we do ministry individually. This is how we do ministry as a church because you are my people. I've got you here for a reason. Chapter 2, 1 Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and who are high places, that we may 
There's a reason this, so that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified. Now, some of y'all need to work on that dignified a little bit. Dignified in every way. This is good. And notice what it says. The Word of God says to us, it is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who, and I read this a while ago, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, and Paul's saying, this is why I am who I am. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith, and truth. I desire then in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also, and we, we transition to verse 8, we're transitioning until it almost would be like the, the individual in verses 1 through 7, and now we're, we're opening up the door of the church, and he said, okay, this is what the church should look like because of the way that we live and the, and the time we live. Men pray, we're lifting up holy hands. Likewise, women should adorn themselves, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, I'll get to that later so women don't check out on me and get mad, all right? Just hold tight. We're going to deal with the men first, then we'll get to the women. This is shotgun preaching. I'm not aiming at anybody. I'm going to hit everybody. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Eden was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us um, your presence through the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the truth of your word and the mission you've given us to, to make a difference in our world and our community. So, Lord, open up our hearts to your truth. Let us stand before the mirror of conviction and let us see the things in our life that we need to be willing to change so that you would be glorified and people may come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we love you and we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do with, with this text, if we may, I want us to look at it from the standpoint that the focal verses are verses 4 through 7. And the reason why I say they're the focal verses is because uh, they are the, the springboard from the, from the rest of the text. And notice what verses 4 through 7 say. But if we look at verses 4 through 7, then we begin to realize everything that this is written springs off of 4 through 7. Why would God be concerned about what a man does in the church and what a woman does in the church? Why would God be concerned with tonight we're going to look at 
what a deacon's responsibility should be. What are the qualifications of an elder? Why does God care about all the details of how we do church? What, is, what does it matter how we do the things that we do? Does it really matter? And the answer is yes, it does matter. That God desires that all people are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There's one mediator between God and man, and that mediator, that man's name is Jesus Christ. It does matter. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul said, listen, that's why I am who I am. That's why he saved me on the road to Damascus. That's why I live and I breathe and I have my being. I am a preacher. I'm a proclaimer. I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I think what Paul's reminding Timothy as we enter into this book is there's a reason why we are, we are here today. There's a reason why we're believers, and that's because of the gospel. The reason why we are alive as believers today, if it was just about us being saved and going to heaven, see, I think that's one of the things that, that Baptists, Baptist evangelism is, is getting baptized in eternal security. You know, you, you get saved and baptized, now you're going to heaven. Whew, I'm glad that's over with. I had a parent tell me one time, said, listen, my son's going to start driving in a few weeks uh, and uh, really like him to get saved and baptized before he gets in a wreck and dies. I said, well, I mean, as a father, I do appreciate the eternal security. I mean, I, I do want to know that my children will go to heaven when they die. But do you understand what he was saying? That my son needs to do something so that he can get his life taken care of so then he can start living his life. Once we get that heaven thing worked out, then you can just still do what you want to do. Brother, wouldn't it be great if a father said something like this, Pastor, will you pray for the heart of my son that he would embrace the gospel and as he turns 16 and reaches into adulthood and all that crazy stuff happens in his brains and hormones, that he wouldn't get wrapped up into things of the world, that he would dedicate his life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, would you pray for my son? Instead of, can you baptize him in case he gets in a wreck, he can go to heaven one day. See, it's a big difference. You know, we're here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so the world can know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Point one, we got to get our own life in order. We, we've got some things as, as, as believers we've got to understand. Notice what Paul says. First of all then, first, Paul tells Timothy, you love God and you seek his face all the time. Does anybody remember the, their childhood prayers? I say this. I, I know my mind is different most everybody here in the room, which is good, bad. I don't know if it's good or bad. But it's different. But when I, when I think of a, a child's prayer, I, I automatically go, now I lay me down to sleep and pray to the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake and pray to the Lord my soul to keep. God bless Mama, Daddy, Sissy, Bubba, Nana, Papa, Bubble, Pop, Maudie, Polly, Fred, and Aunt. You know. Anybody else have that prayer? Y'all didn't pray. I knew I was a righteous one. And it's bad, isn't it funny? I'm, I'm going to really stir, I love stirring the pot, so I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. We won't pray at all, in any, we won't hardly pray at all during the day. I'm just shooting, shooting straight with you. We don't go throughout the day really praying a lot, but you've been a bunch of Baptists together, and if we don't pray over the meal, you would think we're a bunch of hair. Have you ever done been there? 
Well, I went out to Brother, Brother Fred, and he didn't even pray over the meal. Dear Lord, we thank you for this meal. God, guide and direct us. Be with the waiter, be with the cook, be with me. Amen. That's, that's, that's our prayer life a lot, isn't it? And we prayed. Did you say your blessing? Did you say your prayers? Paul's telling Timothy, pray. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, Lord, I'm so that ain't That ain't getting through my bedroom wall right there, the ceiling right there. But what he wants to hear is, Father, I love you. And I thank you for the day I've had. Lord, I thank you for ordering my steps and not allowing me to do the more foolish things than I did. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I lift up my family to you and I pray. You know, that's, that's praying. If we can't get the prayer right, we're going to get nothing else right. People are not people of prayer, not people of prayer because they don't pray. We're not people of the word because we're not in the word. You'd be surprised a number of times people say, I just don't understand the Bible. You're not ever going to understand it until you get in it and ask God to show it to you. I just don't feel real comfortable praying a lot. And I'll be honest with you, that is probably the most, uh, if I look at the spiritual disciplines in my life, that is probably the one I struggle with the most, prayer. Just slowing down and getting on my face before God. I think it goes so much more than having a prayer meeting and a prayer time. It's about a life and a commitment to seeking the face of God. Notice what Paul says to Timothy, which God is saying to us, that I urge that supplications, prayer, and accessions, and, and we could spend a lot of time understanding what these different nuances of these words mean. But basically what it's saying is, is that we need to be people that are seeking God and we're lifting up our concerns, we're lifting up our heart and our attitude. When I think of prayer, there's always different little acronyms and things that we can do. We've all grown up in church. We have Acts, A-C-T-S, and there's different adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. There, there are things that we pray, but more importantly, we've got to pray. We've got to communicate with God. I, and I love prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we'll get to heaven and we'll never understand. I believe in the sovereignty of God over all things, but I believe in human responsibility. I believe that prayer changes things, but I know that God is in control of all things. Isn't that amazing? It's not like I say, well, why pray? God's going to, you know, God's will be done. But if we don't believe that God is in control, why are we even praying to him? Isn't that neat? Have you ever thought about it that way? Isn't that, isn't that awesome? We know that our prayer accomplishes much, but we know we're praying to the one that controls everything. Write these words down. I use the adoration, confession, thanksgiving. This is the way I do it. Here's, here's what your prayer ought to look like. The letter A, adoration and praise. As we, as we pray, we ought to be thanking God for everything that we have, praising him. Prayer is not about us. That's why I always start with adoration, that acts, because guess what happens to most of our prayer time? It's kind of like I, I like to pick on Wednesday night prayer people. I've never missed a, I've been a Wednesday night prayer person since the moment I got saved, by the way. For those that don't know that, we have a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Amen? Oh, just saying. If we decided as a church we're going to have a prayer meeting, you would think you'd need to be there. I'm just saying, I was, I was 21 years old going to prayer meeting. Somebody looked at me and said, what's he doing here? You're the youngest one in my 50 years. I, just, I saw on the bulletin prayer meeting. 
But you know, a lot of our prayers become, Lord, here's my list. This is what I need today. I need this, and I need that, and I need this. And Oh, by the way, pray for this person. I bumped into them at Walmart, and I told them I'd pray for them. Pray for this person. Pray for this. Oh, and I saw that somebody on Facebook, six, and we need to pray for them. And it becomes a grocery list. How long do you think you could pray when we get, get, get real and right, and we bow our head and say, God, I just praise Holy is your name. And I thank you for who you are. And I praise you for every aspect of you in my life. I don't remember the lady's name, but I remember in a prayer meeting one time and, and I was asking for praise reports and, and, or, or prayer concerns and she'd come up and she said, Pastor, I just want to tell you right now, I got the biopsy back. I do have cancer. Praise God. He's on his throne. I couldn't imagine going through this without him. You know how convicting that was even to me? Because guess what happens the moment I get sick? I want y'all to pray that I get feeling better. Praise God. He's on his throne and he's going to walk with me through this. Secondly, it's confession. Notice it's about God and me and the second dynamic of our prayer life is one of confession. Anybody make a mistake this morning? Anybody sin today? We can have public testimony time. Who will go first? Doesn't take long for us to, to, to do things we know we shouldn't do and do it anyway, does it? I think one of the great privileges that we have as believers is every day saying, Lord, forgive me. I agree with you. Confession is agreeing with God that something is wrong. And I, I agree with you this is wrong. And so we, we can confess our sins to him. Third, the letter T, thanksgiving. See, we adore and we confess and we're thankful for everything that we have. It's not as bad as it could be, Right? And so we know that as we live this side of heaven that we have so much to be thankful for. And we're thanking him for that. Now this is where I kind of mess it around than, than what we've grown up here. And usually it, uh, we have the letter S for Acts. It just makes it more compact for supplication. But uh, I do it a, a different way. After the letter T, I put a letter I. It doesn't, it doesn't create a word. So intercession. Do you know what intercession is? Intercession is you're praying for somebody. You're praying for their salvation. You're praying for their holiness. You're praying for their conversion. You're praying for that sickness. You're praying for that tough time. You're, you're lifting up someone. And, and, the, and the, the word literally means that we are pleading for them. We are, and when I think about prayer, I always think about it from a, I like to put real things into it. So I've got God the Father on his throne in glory. God the Son sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I'm pleading through Jesus Christ and his blood for people's souls and people's lives. And I'm interceding for people. Now, could you imagine how long our prayer life would be if we're adoring him and confessing him and we're thankful to him and we're interceding? It's a lot longer than now laying me down to sleep. See where we're going with this? That's what prayer is. We're interceding. Then as we go through, I have the letter P for petition. That's me. Lord, this is what I need. Lord, here's my heart. I've got adoration. I've got confession. I've got thanksgiving. I've got intercession. Now I've got petition. Lord, here's my heart. And usually by the time you get to petition, if you've gone through that, your heart's where it needs to be. And there's nothing wrong with asking God what you want. I, I use this as an example. I literally laid across the bed of my grandmother and asked the Lord to take her or to heal her, but do something. 
I wasn't being blasphemous or disrespectful. I didn't ball up my fist at God or question God, but I was pleading and I was lifting up a petition of what I wanted. But you know what the great thing about a petition is? The more you ask your father for something and you really mean it, the more you realize what you need and your prayers begin to be that way. Isn't that awesome? And then last, we have this aspect of prayer, a lot to call, and I struggle, that's why I say I struggle, listening and meditation. I encourage you to start your day in prayer and Bible study because then you can listen and meditate on the things of God the rest of the day. Prayer is more than just an act that we bow our knee in our head or our spot or our closet or our journal, but prayer is a life that we are listening and constantly meditating on the things of the Lord. I probably pray more with my eyes open than I do closed. Anybody else do that? I've been accused of singing riding down the road. I don't want to sound all spiritual, but usually I'm just praying. I like to pray out loud. Anybody else pray out loud? Somebody could come to our house and it almost sounds like we're uh, Pentecostal in the background. You know, Sharon's on one end of the house and you hear murmuring. She's not here this weekend so I can talk about her. <laughs> she prays out loud in her morning devotional time. It's kind of encouraging for a husband to hear a wife praying out loud on the other end of the house for their children, their spouse, church. So I like riding down the road and praying out loud. I'm not singing, I'm praying helps me focus. I have a hard time focusing. But praying out loud helps me through that. The more I pray, the more I want to pray. The more I want to pray, the more I need to pray. Isn't that a great cycle? So some people say, well, I don't get into praying. That's not really my cup of tea. Okay. Try it. You might like it. First of all, I mean, you can almost look at it from this context. If we're not going to do that, then it's just there's nothing else we can do. First of all, Paul says, Timothy, if you're going to lead that church in effort, if you're going to make a difference, first of all, you've got to pray. Because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God. But did you catch what Paul said in verse 2? Pray for all people. I know a few weeks ago, several, several, several weeks ago, from a political standpoint, you know, we, we, we look at politics. And I just would behoove you to do what God has asked you to do. Life's a lot better that way. The Spirit had departed Saul. You ever, you ever and I know this because I'm reading through it right now. The spirit had departed Saul. And you remember as you read 1 Samuel? The spirit had departed Saul. And everybody kept telling David to kill Saul. He had a, you remember he had an opportunity to kill Saul twice. One time he even cut his cloak off and sent it to him. That's how close you were, Saul. And they said, David, why don't you kill Saul? You know what he said? Remember? That's one of God's appointed men. But he's Saul and the, the spirit's not on him and he's done wicked things. God's placed him there. He didn't agree with it. He didn't necessarily follow after it. But he knew God was bigger than that king. I bet there'd be a big difference in the White House if the church house started praying more instead of talking more. That hurts here, doesn't it? 
Pray for the king. Pray for those in leadership. Pray that they would know Christ. Pray that they would follow Christ. Pray that we can trust God in the midst of a difficult day. Pray for the king. And all who are in high positions. And I love this. That we may lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified in every way. As I'm a person of prayer, and I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm, I'm interceding for all people, then my life will be different. My life will be quiet. My life will be dignified. My life will be godly. Verse 3, because this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Somebody says, Pastor, how can I know my life is pleasing to God? Just be a person that is praying, praying, praying. And when you're face to face with your heavenly father, your life will change dramatically and it will change from the inside out because God desires that people would be saved. God sent his son so that people could repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. Paul says, be a person of prayer so that the world can know that there is a gospel. That is what I have come to say, Paul proclaimed. It's all about the gospel. So one, we got to get our, our life in order. Our, our spiritual life must be where it needs. We need to be people that love and commune with God. You know, I, I look around at church and I look around at, at, at people and we've got to love God and love his word and love prayer. We've got to love that intimacy that we can have only with God. I've had so many people say, and I've gone through spells in my life. I feel so distant from God. I feel so away from God. It's been such a long time that I've heard a voice from my father. Pray. Get alone with God. Seek his face. Get in the word. Then we have a transition to the church. And he said, that's why we're here. To seek me. To share the gospel. And then he says in verse 8, I desire then in every place that men... Now, it's talking about men and it's talking about women, but it's so much more than that. Just please get away from that. This is what men can do. This is what women can do. This is what men are supposed to do. This is Look at what God is laying out here. What, he, what he's laying out here is a picture of the church that's going to have the greatest impact in the society that we live. The greatest way that we can be a gospel into the world that we live. And this is what he says. Men, lift up holy hands and pray. Now if you take that to just figure, if you take that exactly what it says, and that, this is what that means, Right? I'm lifting up holy hands and I pray. Well, it's not just talking about lifting up holy hands. He's talking about the spiritual dynamics of that. Let me read a passage of scripture for you. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear. Psalm 66, 18. If you hide iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear. You know how many times people will come up to me and it's, it's kind of funny. I know I say things I shouldn't say sometimes. I get in trouble Every, every Sunday afternoon at lunch, there's a little checklist I have to go through with somebody. It's amazing the number of people that want somebody to pray for them that are, when things are going tough, they're not in church, they're not a, they're not, they don't even claim to be a Christian really other than what they say. So they'll just out of the blue say something like, well, we pray, well I'm praying for you, pray for me. I said, you know how many times I've wanted to tell people that? They ain't hearing a word you're saying. 
If I had iniquity in my heart and I go to pray, the Lord said, I ain't hearing a word he's saying to me. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you can tell they don't hear a word they're saying to you? I've been accused of that a lot. I'm sorry. It's not that I don't love you. I just got 15 things going on in my mind at the same time. Well, I just don't feel like the Lord ever hears a prayer I lift up. Well, because you got iniquity in your heart. Men, if we want God to use us, if we want to have that touch of God on our life, men, we got to be holy. Lifting up holy hands is not a, a something that we do with our hands. It's something we do with our heart. If we want God to use us, and we're talking about the church, if we want to be men that are, that are on the face of their father, we got to be holy men. And the only way that God hears our prayers if we're not hiding iniquity in our heart. Now, that does not mean that we're perfect, but here's the great thing about our relationship with God, and this is what the Holy Spirit does. The minute that we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And guess what the Holy Spirit is real good about doing? This is right, that is wrong. And as I pray, here's what, here's what the dynamics of our spiritual life is. Have you ever met a Christian that just lives contrary to the Christian life and you begin to ask yourself, I used to be that person, how does he do what he's doing and not feel conviction? Well, he may feel conviction, but the reason why he's been able to do that, he doesn't pray like he needs to. He's not going to church like he needs to. He's not in the Word like he needs to. So he can do these things and he squelched the Spirit. He doesn't hear a word the Spirit says, so he lives this life of debauchery and he thinks everything's okay. Okay, but if we are willing to let our life be blameless, that's what it means to be holy, to be blameless and set apart. And every day we're seeing, you know what happened the moment that I started uh, getting my life turned around? I shared with that with somebody this week. I went from uh, an all-night drunk to uh, the next day I, I bought a Bible in a Christian bookstore and was sitting in front of my TV watching Dr. Stanley. This is a funny story if you think about it. So the night before I'm in an uh, apartment with my buddies I go to the Christian bookstore. All I could find was an old King James Bible, and I couldn't understand it, so I bought me an NIV King James Parallel Bible, greatest thing I'd ever seen. Got the Word of God right here, then the NIV explained it. That's a joke. And so my roommate comes in the next day after work, and I'm sitting in front of the TV with Dr. Stanley in a notebook in my Bible. He didn't know whether to laugh or cry. He didn't know what to do. We went, we went to church together. We could have been some of our youth. Went to youth group together. Got out of youth group, never saw us again. Party, 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 party. We'd come to church seasonally. He looked at me and he said, I'm going to my bedroom. I think he was scared. You know what happened about a week into that? It was like I put on glasses for the first time and I could see all the things in my life that were wrong because... I started talking to God. Some of us aren't talking to God and it's evidenced by our fruit. And I said, well, I'm glad we're getting in First Timothy. We'll get this church thing straight now. We'll get everybody doing what they need to do. Men, you better be able to lift up holy hands is where we need to start. And our life needs to be blameless and holy and righteous before God. I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without quarreling and without anger. If you look at those words, it basically means this. Men, I want you to pray. I don't want you to hold iniquity in your heart. Iniquity is sin, and sin is those things in our life that shouldn't be there, but we know they're there anyway. It's the idea of being blameless. We need to be a, a man that we know our relationship with God is right. Then it also says that with no quarreling and, and anger, 
Matthew 5, 23, so if you bring your offering to the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come off your gift. Matthew 5, 23, 24, let me read that again. If you are offering your gift at the altar there and remember your brother had something against you. You know why so many men have never entered into the true presence of what God is in their life? You know why so many people have never really had the, uh, the anointing of God on their life? Because they've got relationships out of order. It doesn't say, well, I haven't done anything against anybody. I, I don't mind sharing this. I got in a class, we were forced by grade to really get alone and spend some spiritual time. They, they knew that if they didn't make us do it, that we wouldn't do it, you know. So we, we had some things in place that we had to say that I'm praying this many days of the week. If we were physically able, we fasted for a period of throughout the week. We were in Bible study for a week. So what entered into as an assignment in college, guess what happened? John had revival. And at the end of that week, I spent a good part of a day on the telephone. What do you think I did on that telephone? Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And I believe that God was saying, here, here's, here, here's where it is right here. And that this is some of John's theology. And that, that's scary to say that. But here's how I work through this. We can be as close to God as we want to, but it's going to cost more to get closer. Have you ever been around preachers? And I've been around preachers before. You just, you know they're doing something. I'll be honest with you. I bumped into preachers before and I think they're doing something I'm not doing, but I wish I could do it. First time I met Henry Blackaby, I walked in his presence and it felt like the passage in scripture where Peter said that the, the shadow of the apostles was healing people. I walked in the presence of Henry Blackaby and I was like, ooh. And I remember going home and telling Sharon, I woke her up and said, honey, I want to know God like that man. And I remember Sharon saying, you can if you want to. How bad do we want to? Are we willing to do whatever we need to do to get our relationship right with God and others so that we can come into the presence of God in a way that we never have before? Notice where God starts at the church. You ever notice where God starts at the church? Men. I would say this, and I believe it starts. I think the problem with our country today is our churches today. We've lost our influence and our authority and our power, and it starts with us men. We're to blame. The pulpit, our leadership, God's on his throne. It isn't a God thing. The devil, he's always been the same. We know what his role is, but it's us. Likewise, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. And Now, I'm not going to go into why a man got one verse and, and, and women have all these others. Well, I would simply say this. If a man would just get that one verse right, it'd be different. Eh? God only knew we could only handle one thing at a time. And I believe what God was saying. Just If men would just know me and love me and pray, it'd be different. Have you ever noticed this? And I, I need this. I want to slide this around a little bit. Do you know... What the target audience is for a Christian bookstore. Have you ever noticed that? Go in a Christian bookstore. Okay, it's your homework. You go in a Christian bookstore and this is what you do not, this is what you see. You open up the door. Oh, a little bookmark display. Little flowers and mushrooms and scripture verses. Look over there. There's little journals. Oh, the new Beth Moore study's in. You know what you don't see in Christian bookstores? Christian guns and hunting stuff. 
you know, camouflage. You know what you do now? You see a little duck. Display. You know who the target audience for Christian bookstores is? Women. You know why it's not men? They'd be bankrupt in a week. How many prayer journals have you had of your grandfathers? That convicted me. Can grandfathers not have prayer journals? Why do mothers always the ones that pray? Why are mothers always the one that has to get everybody up and go to church? Why do mothers have to be the ones that remind husbands it's Sunday? We're missing it, men. And it's a shame. Now he says, likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modest self-control, not with braided hair, costly attire. We have to understand, and I know time is always passing with me, but we have to understand something that was going on. In the culture that we have of this day, women had no rights. It almost would be like studying the Middle East now. Have you ever known missionaries, you know, their vases are failing? You know, if you go over to Saudi Arabia, it's just a real order. You know, women had no rights whatsoever. And what began to take place in the church is they had rights for the first time that they never had before. And so in, in some circles, the church was addressing that they, they went from nothing to everything. And so everything kind of got a, out of chaos. Now, also in the religious world at this time, there were these things called temple prostitutes in Ephesus especially. So in, this, in the name of not Christianity, but religion, you had all these, you know, prostitute women and, and things of this nature. And so this is what Paul, this is what Timothy is being instructed by Paul. This is what God is saying. And I will say this, the Bible is not written in such a way, well, that was then and this is now. This is all time. This is all the time. We don't culturally translate scripture to meet our culture. We've, we've already done that as a church and you see where that's gotten us. Wrong is wrong and always will be wrong. Right is right and always will be right. That's why we are people of absolute truth. And so what God is saying is, I don't want the church to be the world. I want the church to be different. And I want the church to set an example. And I would say the key word in this whole section that, that it does cause so much of a problem, it boils down to the word of authority. Now naturally, none of us like the word authority, do we? Just authority. Kids, how many of you like to be told to do something by a parent? It's an authority issue. Remember, when we were going through 1 Peter, we were talking about submission, that, there, that the Christian life is one about submission and finding our spot. You know, we all are accountable to somebody. And if I have a struggle with authority in my life, it's not necessarily, well, I don't know, you don't know the boss. I, ah, it's not an authority. I always tell kids this. Parents come to me and talk about their, their crazy kids that they're dead. And I'm like, you raised them. They won't listen to a thing. And I always tell parents, it's not an issue of that teacher. And it, it is funny because I am married to a teacher. It's not her fault, Okay. It's not the school system's fault. It's the child you've raised fault. Thank you. But what happens is the, the, the parent comes to me and says, my child doesn't obey. My child doesn't do this. What's wrong with my child? This would always say, your child's got a heart problem. When somebody loves the Lord Jesus Christ and understands the authority in our life of Christ, I can submit to other people's authority. I can submit to anybody over me because I'm submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
I get pulled over and get a ticket. I can submit to that because I know there's a, it's a life of submission. We all are accountable to somebody. And I, let me tell you the root of my problem. When somebody tells me something to do and I don't want to do it, it becomes a me problem. So anything that we look at in this section, when we get upset, it's a me problem. You know, some of the things that we're struggling with in our society about right or wrong, you look at that and you think, what, what is the issue? Because nobody wants to be told what's right or wrong. It's an authority issue with God. And so this is what God is saying. Women, put it in John's translation. Come to church and don't worry about the way you look as much as coming to worship God. Now, I don't want to put, be legalistic. Legalism is something you feel like you have to do to please God. It'd be like me. Well, you need to wear ties. I understand that. In certain kind, I need you to wear a tie. But the idea is modesty in the way we dress is a no-brainer. I'll tell you a great example. If I walk up to you, I've had youth do this. If I walk up to you and you immediately begin to pull something up or down, then you know it's too short. You shouldn't have worn it anyway. <laughs> right? Have you ever done that? Oh, hey, mm, oh, preacher, youth pastor's coming. Well, you know it's too short. Go put something else on. Have you ever met the holiness folks that, that they put their hair up, no makeup? And, you, know, you know why they do that? You know why they do that? They don't want to cause a man to stumble. Hmm. I said, well, that's legalistic. Well, I don't know, is it? That doesn't mean that we don't wear, you know, well, I got braided hair. Everybody with braided hair, you need to come to the altar. Well, Gail, I see that necklace on you right there, right there. <laughs> I'm looking around. It says, in modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold. Or it's not about us. And the idea with modesty, it's not about us and what people think about us. I think as a Christian, we ought to dress nice. I think we ought to be neat. I think we ought to give God our best. But I'm telling you, some of you dads, I'm not even going to say moms, some of your dads, I heard a preacher say at a youth conference one time, you might as well put a sign around your daughter say, for hire. Because we're letting them dress that way. The Lord says, modesty and self-control. But what is proper for a woman who professes godliness with one good works? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, as we go into this verse, we could be here a while, but I need to eat at some point today. We can say, well, there must have been some squabblings going on in the church, and so, you know, that's then. Uh, the other extreme is, have you ever been part of a church with this? A woman can never say, and that, some of you raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know this. Have you ever been part of a church where a woman could never speak in a business meeting? Anybody here? Nobody really. I've been a part of a church, not part of a church. I had a friend at the part of a church that the women sat on one side of the church during business meetings. The woman couldn't speak. They took that literally. So I think with everything, you can go with both extremes. But do you ever notice, if you just think of society, and I want to have a little fun for a minute. Have you ever noticed that the jokes that we can make about marriage I mean, you ever notice that? They're like universal jokes. We always make these universal. I've lived in different places, and everywhere I've lived, it's the same thing. Here's the wife. Well, I just wish he'd help out just a little bit. Good gracious. I come in all day, and I'm trying to wash clothes. He doesn't do anything. He plops down in there and doesn't do anything. And I'm like, how about a little help here? Women, you ever feel that way? 
And this is, what, this is what it's saying. This is what women are saying to men. Could you just stand up and be a man? Just kind of take some responsibility and help a little bit and lead. Can you be a leader? And then what do we say about our women? Blah, 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 blah. You think you just hush for a minute? Nag, nag, nag. Yep, I mean, we just go on and on. And, you know, we make little jokes about this and make little jokes about that. And you ever know, it's universal. I don't want to get everybody mad. I might as well. I can only do this because my wife's not here. Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her, this is so true, to restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Isn't that true? You can't do anything with them and we know it. The only privilege I have is I can stand up here every now and then and say it, but then when I get home, it's the same thing. It goes on to say God's word. Don't, don't get mad at me. Now, I got a point to this. It really is a point to it. Proverbs 21.9, It is better to live on the corner of a housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve sinned. In the beginning, there was a problem between man and God. And then it goes on to say part of the punishment will be that the wife will have a desire for, the husband will have a wife's desire and the wife will rule over him, excuse me. The wife will have a desire for her husband and her husband will rule over her. Now I think we take that, and we're all adults here, we take that desire as, a, as an intimate sexual thing. And we know that's not true, right men? That a wife would have a desire for her husband? You know what that is? This is, this is, this is great. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Part of the fall was an authority issue. This is what God said. Because of sin, these roles are going to be in constant battle. I want the man to lead, but he won't naturally want to do it. I want the wife to follow his leadership, but she will not naturally want to do it. Is that not true? Is that, that's prophetic, isn't it? I can't lead him because he's not a leader. I know. I don't know how to lead. I know. And so God is saying this in the church. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want. I want the church to be a picture for the world to see. Men, I want you to teach and lead your families. Men, I want you to take your kids in there and open up the Word of God and teach your kids the Scripture and know how to pray. I'm tired of moms doing it and grandmothers doing it. Men, I want you to be the leader of your home spiritually. And I want, I want Satan to be the one that, you know, you stand at the gap and Satan's got to come through you men to get to that family. I want you to stand up and be the leader. And he says, as a matter of fact, it's what I want it to look like. Men, I want you to lead at the church. I want men standing there preaching and boldly proclaiming the word of God. 
I want men to be in positions of spiritual leadership and, and authority in the church. I want the world to see that, that we understand what authority and fellowship all is. And I think of teaching and the practical teaching. And you, I, I don't even have to ask the women this. I've had people tell me this. She's a better teacher than you are. I've known that since I married her. She'll tell you it's not my place to teach men. What we've done in the world is we've said, you know what, though? That was just such a long time ago. Every issue, if you think about every issue that we're having in the church against the world, we're saying that was then, this is now. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Now, we come from different church backgrounds. The key is authority. What is authority? Is women teaching youth authority? Is women teaching youth? So, you know, usually there's a, there's a line. You know, where's authority? At what point is a, a woman exercising authority? Some denominations have women as elders and, and pastors. I, I don't think that's Right. We have to ask ourselves, what is authority? What is a position of authority? It's teaching the word, thus saith the Lord. What is authority? And what we have to do as a church, we have to be willing to say it doesn't matter. You know, when I got married, and, and I knew Sharon is the one that had been in church her whole life, she knew more about leading a Christian home than I ever would. I had to step up and say, you know what? She may be smarter. She may have it more figured out. She's been in church longer than I have. But if I want God to bless my family and to bless my life, I better step up and do what God's asking me to do. The same goes for the church. that I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. Does that mean a, a woman should not speak in church? No, we cut up like that. You know, I, I do that at home every night. Mm -mm, keep. Woman, you better sit down over there and be quiet. <laughs> I'm back there knocking on Stanley's door. I need somewhere to spend the night, Stanley. <laughs> I think it's order. Authority. You know, a lot of times what people say, and I, I put all this in the context of just leadership. It's not a woman cannot speak, but I think a lot of times, you know what happens? And I, I remember dialoguing with a young man in, in a church, and he said, I'm coming out of a church in New York City. We had a woman bishop, a woman pastor. We're going to get to that tonight, so please come back. And he said, and, and people got saved through her, and I got called into ministry to that. And I said, well, I'm not saying that, that God, you know, did not utilize the proclaiming of his word, but what we were saying is, as long as, you know, we could say, well, nobody else will do it, a woman's got to do it. We, we hear that a lot. You know what? I always say this. God's always going to raise up people for the task if we'll trust him and let him do it. And so every time I preach 1 Timothy 2, and I've preached this a dozen times. I've got scribble notes all in here and time is winding down. This has nothing to do as much of women than it does the men. And every time we preach it, well, there it goes. A woman, preacher preached that women can't do this and women, listen, if the men would stand up and be the men they need to be. Isn't it amazing though when, when Timothy, when Paul was telling to Timothy, the first thing he dealt with was false doctrine and then he gets into men, stand up and be a man. Stand up and lead the church. Stand up and lead your home. Stand up and, and, and stand on the authority of God's word and just lead. 
Yes, it addresses some issues in the life of women, in the life of churches, but the key is understand what God has called us to do. He desires for people to be saved. Somebody said, well, does God save or we save? Well, I believe God saves, but he says here that all people, and what is all people? I don't know, because then it gets into a real theological mess. If God wants to save them, they'll be saved. It's not like God's up there across his fingers hoping I choose God. That doesn't work out theologically. But at the same time, I don't think there's an assembly line in heaven and somebody just hell, heaven, hell. That'd be kind of sad, wouldn't it? I don't know who can be saved. I'm voting for everybody. And I'll never know who, who God's choosing and who God's electing and where responsibility and sovereignty hit the road. I just believe God is sovereign over all things. He's told me to go out and, and to be a witness. And in order to be the greatest witness we need to be, I think our life needs to be where it needs to be. Our church needs to be what it needs to be. And you'll continue to see God bless in a way that only he'll get the credit for. That's what he's saying here. And then tonight we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3 and then he goes into elders and overseers and then he goes into instructions of the church and so that's why it's so important that we are people of 1 and 2 Timothy and these pastoral epistles. Remember the key word I said and we'll close with this. Authority. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? That's what it boils down to. Is Jesus Christ a supreme ruler in your life? It's, it's more than just, I've prayed to receive Christ and I know I'm a believer, but Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. When Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, men, you'll lift up holy hands and your desire would be to please God with every aspect of your life. Women, you'll lift up holy hands and your desire would be to please God with every aspect of your life. When God created man and woman, I, I even look around here and I know specifics about a lot of y'all. Isn't it amazing how God puts men and women together and we're so different? We're different for a reason. And God wants to use us for a reason. But we've got to put him where he needs to be. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, I thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for the word. We're thankful, Lord God, you've given us your word to help us understand and to see how we live our life. We're grateful for the risen Christ and what it means to be saved. And I pray today that we know that we know you without a shadow of a doubt. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. For more information about First Baptist Church of Avon Park, just go to fbcap.net. You can find us on Facebook by simply searching for First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash fbcavonpark. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.